0: Hey there, and welcome back to the second season of the Mother's Empowerment Podcast. We have some amazing interviews for you this spring. First of all, we talk about how to align with the seasons of the moon. We also touch in on maternal mental health and finding your purpose and passion inside and outside of motherhood. Remember to subscribe and send the podcast to your friend who might benefit from it. We all could use a little more empowerment these days. See you inside the episode. Hello and welcome to the Mother's Empowerment Podcast. I'm your host, Isabel Bridges. And here on this show, we dive deep into all things mothering, sistering, and humaning, because the roles that you play are something you learned, not who you are. Let's begin. Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of the Mother's Empowerment Podcast. I'm so excited to introduce to you a fellow life coach, Natalie Faro She's also an actress and a writer and a healer who is passionate about helping fellow multi-hyphenate artists and multi-passionate entrepreneurs harness all of their unique talents and gifts without sacrificing any of their passions. Yes, to not having to sacrifice our passions. So today on this episode, we talk about how we can use embodiment to change our life so that we're not just moving forward towards some goal, but we're actually embodying the person we need to be in order to create that goal in our lives. Nikki also talks to us about worthiness and self-love, and she has a self-love party coming up that I hope you will check in on. I know I will be there. Let's Listen in as Natalie and I talk about self-love and how to embody that so we can change our lives. Hey there, and welcome back to the Mother's Empowerment Podcast. I'm so excited to have this conversation today with Natalie about embodiment. I think this is a topic that we actually don't talk about enough so, before we dive in, Natalie, will you introduce yourself? Let our listeners know a little bit about who you are and the type of work you do. And also, I'd love to hear what this word empowerment means to you on a personal level.
1: Well, Thank you so much for having me, Isabel. I'm very excited to be here as well. Um, I'm a very multifaceted person. I uh, sort of grew up as a dancer. In a household where uh, really there was a lot of value placed on education, which I believe absolutely is very important. But it was also kind of a major source of conflict in my life because uh, when when you're an artist, you can really feel that deep in your bones and it can be very challenging to sort of navigate what's going on in the world where sort of there's this taboo around the fact that artists don't make money, and that there are only a certain number of ways that artists can be successful. So that's sort of overshadowed my entire experience. Um, And what I currently do is I am an actor, a writer, uh, occasional producer, uh, life coach and healer. And uh, I started my life coaching practice uh, in 2020, when I know a lot of other people made some pretty big mm-hmm. shifts as well. And I had, it wasn't completely surprising that I chose this shift. Um, but it was because it was actually something I had considered before, and it actually directly relates to this conversation about embodiment that we're having today. Um, I had been running a Private Pilates practice in New York City for about 13 years and kind of reached um, sort of a brick wall where I kind of felt like I wasn't making the kind of impact I wanted to do with my work. It was also sort of, it, for lack of a better term, my day job because I was actively auditioning um, sometimes three, four, five times a day in addition to, uh, you know, working with my clients. But I was feeling like this need for my purpose to be infused in everything that I do. And because I had set up my uh, teaching as sort of a side job, and also because of all of the, um, you just call them like tangled, uncomfortable weirdness around the um, fitness industry and and like sort of weird body dynamics where in order to get in better shape, there's all this stuff entangled up with you know, not being thin enough or not being fit enough or not having the right body type. So it's like a very complicated web. And I was definitely feeling like I wanted to live in a place of more positivity, a uh, place of more growth. And I wanted to start to work with clients who were doing the same thing. And I sort of was in that place where I like knew I wanted more, but wasn't ready to invest in myself yet. And so I took a long, long, long pause. So 2020 was the moment where. uh both the idea met where the idea met both time and money. I had been saving for a while. So I had the money to invest in life coach certification. I had more time because I wasn't trying to juggle as many things as I had normally tried to juggle. And, um, and so it was just a really powerful time for me to make that shift. Mm. And you'd ask me about what empowerment means. So let me get to that. And then I'll let you just jump in. Because um, I want to make sure I answer that question because it's so juicy. I think empowerment for me is about being fully authentic to who you are and being able to show up as that person without apology, without trying to um, appear a certain way. Or meet other people's expectations. But really, it's it's about what are my ideals? What are my values? What are my expectations for myself? And then to really show up in that way. Hmm. And um, I think that one of the things that was most important in my own journey, like when I became a life coach, I also was being coached myself. A big part of it was like, how do I show up for me? Like, I had gotten to the point where, you know, I, I, you know, I have many, many talents and skills. Like, one of the habits of hazards of being an actor in a weird way is like you pick up, you do a lot of different day jobs, you pick up a lot of different skills. And I was like, good at a lot of things. But one of the hazards is that you're always trying to please someone else. And at the end of the day, I was like, when do I get to show up for me? When do I? follow through? When do I, um? when do, when do I not, am I not relying on someone else to tell me what to do for me to actually follow through on something? And so that was really what I was looking to find. And I think that is what empowerment is to me. It's like knowing what I want to do and having the tools and ability to show up as that person and do those things.
0: Hmm. As you are speaking, I'm having this vision of like, embodiment almost like a flower that Mm. you that begins to blossom open and it starts as a bud and it's baby steps because we were all born embodied but we slowly kind of unlearned our embodiment and so just like any skill learning to walk learning to read learning to cook we need to like take baby steps because we're not going to be a bud one day and then, you know, a gorgeous flower the next day. It's like a, it's a, it's a process. Mm -hmm. So what would you say is like the, a baby step that someone can take to like Mm -hmm. embody their life the way you said that you did, as far as going from pleasing everyone on the outside to like, what's that first step to like embodying this woman who can like serve herself? Mm.
1: I'm going to steal straight from Glennon Doyle, whose book ironically is currently on my desk. Mm. But um, she talks so much about finding stillness. Mm. And I think that is the most first most important step And I think what's interesting about that is like, I think we all hear the voices in our head. Um, But there's a difference between hearing the voices in your head when you're going about your normal everyday routine and listening to the voices in your head when you have no agenda. Mm. So, you know, I spend a lot of time in meditation and in the beginning, you know, I've been probably meditating for 10, 15 years off and on um, in the beginning. And I, when I say in the beginning, I mean, like everything up to the first, the last maybe two years. Um, I really, I really didn't know what I was doing. Like I really, you know, I would sit, I would occasionally listen to a recording, but I would sit and I would try to do follow the advice, which is like if you hear a thought. Observe it, don't judge it, and let it pass, which I still think is great advice. But when I met our mutual friend Cara Viana, mm-hmm. um, I started her um, Master Your Magic course, and you know she uses energy work. And when I started doing that practice, I was transported to a different space, mm-hmm. and. I know that that's not necessarily possible overnight if it's a new practice. But I think I think some of it is like when you step into meditation, um, allowing yourself to feel grounded, to feel supported, and to, I mean, I'll let go. <laughs> it sounds so terrible because I know that for years people were like, let go, Natalie, let go. My acting teachers told me, my dancing teachers told me almost everybody in my life kept telling me, let go, let go. And I was like, how do I let go? How do I let go? And something about being like, okay, I'm going to sit here. I have zero expectations of what's going to happen in the next five minutes or 10 minutes or an hour. I'm going to ground myself. I'm going to center myself. And then I'm going to be open to the possibility. Um, And that's when the messages come in. You know, I get probably 90% of my ideas when I'm sitting in meditation. and the more I do that, I'll start to have them drop in in other places. But I know the difference between that voice and the voice that's like, oh my God, you're doing everything wrong. Oh my God, what are you doing? you know the voice that's like, you know the gen- the um, the critic, the critic, you know that that critic who um, is constantly uh, trying to regulate you and manage you and control you, Versus the voice that is very helpful and supportive and guided. So, yeah. So just to recap, find stillness. Um, allow yourself to not expect anything to happen. Like whatever mm-hmm. happens, you know, close your eyes, breathe, whatever happens, whether it's that chatterbox for five minutes or it's nothing or it's some version in between. But just to have like no expectations. And just to know that it's a practice. So showing up every day for two minutes or five minutes over time yields great results. But when we have to be like, oh, I need something right away, that's that's hard to do. That's hard to make that
0: shift. I love that this is your first step because from the outside, I'm looking at you as an actor, <laughs> a dancer, a doer you know, an empowered woman in this world. And all of those are like, action oriented. But what mm. you're saying is the first step isn't actually action The f- of, to embodiment. The first step is stillness. Yeah, non action, really.
1: Yeah, I think, I think, you know, I teach, I teach embodiment now, sometimes in circles, sometimes in programs. And, What's really different between embodiment and teaching Pilates? Because I was a certified Pilates. Well, I guess technically still am, but I've been a certified Pilates instructor since two thousand one. But like the difference between teaching embodied movement versus teaching Pilates is that when we step into embodied movement, we're moving from the inside out. We're we're sort of. We're not totally bypassing our minds, but we're, we're, we're aiming to get a little bit more into our subconscious or unconscious mind, the part of our mind that is more creative, that is not as expressed, a part of our mind that's more connected to our body um, versus when you go into a Pilates class. And the first thing I do is I say, okay, take a nice deep breath in. Exhale. Okay. Curl up. Like I'm literally coaching you through every single movement. And as a student in my Pilates classes, most of what you're trying to do is do what I tell you to do. Right. And then over time, once you learn the exercises and whatever, then there starts to be a little element of like curiosity and like, how can I make this correction? Or what do I personally need to work on? But then it's still a little bit of that outside in thing. And when we're moving from an embodied movement practice, it's like, well, how do I want to move? Which comes directly from also like, how do I feel, you know? Um, And like, you know, what parts of me are, are like stuck or stagnant, you know, what parts of me are unused, unloved, um, you know, that need attention, you know, sometimes like the most, the most powerful thing we can do is just to touch our own skin, you know? And it's like, oh, I'm here, you know, having that experience of the aliveness of our own body is something that's so easy to let go of because we're so we're in such an intellectual space. And I relate so much because I grew up in a very intellectual space. So. Same.
0: Okay. <laughs> I want us to pause here because this, you know, this is an audi- audible, like you're experiencing this through your ears. So would you just take us into our bodies? Would you, yes. you just pause and actually have an embodied moment experience? Could you lead us from yes. our heads and into our bodies so we can yes. have a visceral experience? Yes, I would love that.
1: All right. So... If you happen to be driving a car right now, please don't do this. You can do some subtle version of this, but don't close your eyes. (laughs) All right. So um, just feel your feet on the floor. And if you're standing, that's totally fine as well, as long as you feel safe enough to close your eyes. If you can take a moment to sit down, please do that. Um, Feel your sits bones underneath you. And then just take a moment to really center your spine. So the top of your head is directly over your pelvis. Your shoulders are directly over your hips. And just observing, we have natural curves in our spine. Our tailbone naturally curves backward. Our lumbar spine curves forward. Our thoracic spine our ribcage area curves backwards our neck curls forwards and then our head balances that out by curving backwards. So we have all of these curves, all of this support built into our skeleton. So with that awareness, I encourage you to let go of any tension you are holding in your muscles, your skin, your fascia, which is the external most sheath of our bodies that encapsulates all of our muscles, all of our bones, all of our organs so you can really relax at that deep cellular level let go of any tension that you do not need to support yourself your bones are amazing and they can hold you up and then from this beautiful supported place deepen your breath allowing the breath to come in through your nose and go all the way down deep into your belly Feel that breath fill your waist. If you have a tendency to hold your stomach in, you can let it go. And feel that width of your belly, that width of your diaphragm, the expansion of your lungs. And as you exhale, just observe the breath moving out. Feel free to breathe out through your mouth or your nose. And just notice how it feels when your your breath moves out of your body. Notice any sensation within your body. Sometimes when we breathe, because we don't breathe deeply enough, we start to create extra tension. So just check back in with your muscles and your bones as you continue to breathe. And see what's the most relaxed and least effortful way that you can breathe. let's just take a moment to enliven the skin. So feel the bottoms of your feet on the floor and imagine all of the little nerve endings connecting to the bottom of your feet. Moving to the tops of your feet, your ankles, as if each little nerve ending was like a little tickle of a feather on the outside of your skin, moving up through your calves your shins, your knees, your thighs, front and back. Your pelvis, that beautiful bowl, is the seat of our creativity. If you're a mother, that is where you created and grew your child. If you're not a mother, that's fine too. This is where all of your creative ideas come from. Feeling that aliveness coming through the back of your body, the back of your shoulders, the back of your arms, all the way down to the palms of your hands. And then coming up the front of your arms, so back of the hand, fingertips, wrists, forearms, upper arms, chest. And then feel that aliveness come through the front and back of your neck, the skull, the face. And as we take one more deep breath in, just noticing how alivening the skin changes the relationship of you to the air around you. See if you can feel that energy. Let's allow our eyes to come open and come back into the space.
0: Mm. That was so lovely. Thank you for that. You're welcome. So my first noticing about that is how much my belly had to say. I I don't know if you could hear it. I felt like the whole world could hear it. It was like all gurgly and bubbly. And what I realized is, how much I hold Mm. and how, when I'm still for an extended amount of time, it gives me the opportunity to release the holding that I really had no idea was there. Yeah. And that when I'm still there's movement, there's actually a lot of movement inside of the stillness. Mm. Yeah. what I mean, there's something is happening. So that's what it is. It's just like the winter is a, is kind of nature's still moment or pause moment. There's so much happening under the surface of the earth. So much is happening when we're still. Yeah. And to give honor to that.
1: Yeah. I mean, our bodies are movement, right? Mm. Um, and so we rarely take the time to feel that, Right. But, you know, you don't have to move your arm or your leg or take a walk or take a yoga class to, for there to be movement in their, your body. There's always movement.
0: Mm.
1: yeah. And that, you know, that energy, that connection, you know, just feeling the connection to the air around you, you know, that continues. That continues with everything in your space and, you know, everything you know, in California and I'm in New York and that all of this energy is connected.
0: And how is this energy connected with self-love?
1: I would mm. love to
0: hear for you, you talk about where love has a place in embodiment.
1: Oh my gosh. Mm. Well, I think that a lot of my a lot of my challenges came with, in terms of my own self-love uh, came from my early training as a dancer. And when I was about 12, I got very serious and um, uh, North Carolina Dance Theater moved to Charlotte and they had auditions for the Nutcracker. And that was like sort of the spark that made me realize, oh, this thing that I love is something I can do as a career, um, and, which was a wonderful gift. But that at the same time, I got exposed to a higher level of training as a dancer. And then when I started to look for that, I was also exposed to a lot of fraught um, thoughts, beliefs, um, habits, patterns that happen in the dance industry around body type. and. There was just so much emphasis on my body being a certain way that my body needed to be, uh, I needed to have a certain physique in order to be successful as a dancer. I'm 5'2", so already, you know, not super ideal because the Balanchine body, which if you're not a dancer or you're not familiar with ballet, you know, he started working with dancers who were 5'6", to 5'8", so that became the new ideal and like this long, lean muscle type became very in vogue. And it's kind of stayed that way, although I think in current times it's shifted a good bit. But, you know, when I was coming up and training, you know, the very first thing I almost got told when I started training at a new studio was that my thighs were too big. Literally, those were the words, your thighs are too big. And I was growing, you know, I was, you know, you know, preteen Um, And I was encouraged to not only take my dance classes six days a week, but also to go on a pretty restrictive diet and to um, do additional workouts, cardio and weights Mm -hmm. while I was doing this, Um, which, as you can probably imagine, was kind of problematic. Fortunately, my body kind of knew better and Mm -hmm. I developed an unhealthy habit of binging. So, mm-hmm. you know, thankfully, I never went to an extreme level. Um, But, you know, but like my body used to be I used to go home and eat like large amounts of cheese because my body was like, you need more stuff, please feed me. Mm-hmm. So, so I think that like, my own my own relationship with my body in terms of love sort of, and not feeling like it deserved love came from that place. It was like, I only deserve to be loved if I can fit into this body type. And it was so connected to my idea of like what it needed. I needed to do to be successful as at the time dancing was the thing, but it happens in, you know, in acting too, sometimes And it's like you, there's a lot of emphasis on what you look like. So for me, when I was teaching and I started doing Pilates at that time, actually, that was one of the things that I started doing soon after. And, um, and the reason I was doing it was to get longer, leaner muscles, which would be more attractive. Of course, the irony is that as a, I trained as a, as a Pilates instructor myself and became very knowledgeable in, um, in anatomy and whatnot, I was like, oh, well, this, these, this just strengthens my psoas, which is a muscle that crosses your hip. Um, it strengthens my psoas, which helps me lift my leg without having to use my quad muscle. So like if my legs are too big, my quads are overworking because my core isn't strong. So it wasn't really that like, I was like doing something wrong, or that I was personally built the wrong way. I just needed to build a certain kind of strength, but that's not how it was shared with me. It was shared with me in a very sort of defacing kind of way. And um, you know, you trust the people that are in your life at that age, and and uh, it's very you know it's very easy to get sort of stuck in that mentality. So when I started teaching Pilates, there was a lot of that baggage around it. Um and I definitely, um, I definitely found myself teaching Pilates in a very regimented kind of way. And I definitely, you know, it's like very, I'm very detail oriented. And I would like literally correct every little thing, which some people love, you know, sometimes people love corrections. And sometimes it makes people feel less than. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I kind of re- have realized as I was doing it longer and longer, which is where I was getting to that crucial point where I decided to step away from teaching Pilates for a while, was that I was doing this. um, I I was teaching Pilates in a way that I no longer believed in, you know? And I was starting to get into fitness coaching, but the only model I knew of to lose weight was to measure and count calories. And it was something that I didn't believe in and didn't want to do myself anymore. And I didn't have the thing to replace it with. Hmm. And I didn't trust myself at the time to figure it out. You know, I think that if I had been had some of the tools I have now, then maybe I would have. Um, but there are a lot of great people out there who who do that work. And I, I think that that's um, really valuable. So so um, So a lot of my fracture in terms of self-love came from that place. I think it also came a little bit from this place of like, having a really big disconnect with my parents and they're not quite understanding or supporting me as fully as being an artist. So, you know, when you have those moments where someone outside of you is telling you that you need to look a certain way or do a certain thing in order to be successful and you trust them because they're, you know, your elders, they're your mentors, they're the, you know, your parents, the people in your life who you trust. When it goes against the fundamental nature of who you are, that creates a fracture in self-love because the very nature of doing what someone else tells you to do when it's not in alignment with who you are is not, I don't want to say it's an act of self-hate that's way too strong. There's not really a word for it, Mm -hmm. but it's a a separation from self. Mm -hmm. So self-love is about returning to self, returning to honoring your own impulses, your own desires, your own needs, your own values, and operating from that place. Um, so I think a lot of people relate to having lost a piece of that from body issues. Um, and, you know, but, but it could come from anywhere, you know, and, and I do think that like, understanding who you are is is i won't i don't want to say it's the first step i think it's part of my i sort of think about everything like a circle you know so so knowledge of self is very important but sometimes we have to do other things and then we be, and by doing something else we get to know ourselves better so what i am sort of looking at this self love process is like it's like Sometimes self-love is like, oh, I'm really tired. I deserve to rest. And that rest might be 5 minutes, it might be 15 minutes. It might be doing a meditation, it might be doing some similar practice, or it might be going to bed early. But acknowledging that desire, that that feeling inside is like a little piece of of reclaiming your self-love. You know, um and 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 just really like trust with yourself is so important. You know, I talked about how I how you sort of when you when you act out of alignment with your own desires that that is an action against self-love. So, taking action in alignment with yourself and your own mm-hmm. desires is how you get back into self-love. And Um, It can be really daunting. There was a point where I really wasn't taking action on anything in my life. And it was very difficult. It was very difficult to feel like it was okay for me to just do one little thing. But that's how I built the trust with myself.
0: Hmm. I'm loving this conversation so much about self-love. And I'm wishing that we had more time. (laughs) And the truth is that we do because we're going to be continuing this uh, conversation um, on a different platform. But still, um, I would love for you to share a little bit about what you have coming up uh, Mm. that our listeners can deepen into these practices. um, And then we'll close. Sounds wonderful. So, yeah, especially if you're in a place where you've
1: been having challenges around self-love, or you're seeing that that's an area that you could really work on. Um, I'm hosting a self-love party in May. Uh, it starts on Monday, May 8th, And it runs for the entire month. So it's a 30-day challenge. And the goal of it is to get to know ourselves a little bit better and to start taking positive actions towards changing some of that internal a talk that is unkind, unhelpful to ourselves, and getting tuned into practices that are self-loving. During the course of the 30 days, um, everyone's going to be getting a weekly email that lays out a practice for the week and it's literally going to be one practice because my goal is to make this very doable. So if you're really busy and you're constantly saying, oh, I'd love to do that, but I don't have time, you you will have time. Mm And then there'll be additional journaling prompts that you can go deeper in if you'd like, as well as a community. On um, I think we're using oh now my mind's drawing blank. Um, we're, I think we're we're going to be on Slack. So maybe great if you have a day job also and like you're on Slack anyway, you'd be like, great, I need a break from work. Let me go see where this lovely uh, community is gathering to talk about self-love. I really believe it's so important to heal our patterns around self-love in community because sometimes it's the feeling of separation from community that has created the pattern of this lack to begin with. And I'm gonna be doing some fun pop-up live events during the um, during the 30-day challenge that I will be announcing along the way. Um, so uh, I would love to have you join that. Um,
0: so yeah, that's, that's what I have going on. Well, I will definitely be joining. So yeah. I look forward to that. And uh, okay, so to close, I would love for us to um, deepen into a next empowering action you'd like to invite our listeners to take.
1: Okay, so... Obviously, you are all welcome to join my self-love party, and I hope to see you there. Uh, But I'd like you to find just five minutes for yourself to be in stillness today. And when you go into that moment, I encourage you to set a timer on your phone or whatever else you like to set a timer with. And just be committed that you're going to sit still for that amount of time with no expectations of what comes through. So
0: beautiful. Thank you again, Natalie. I look forward to our future connections. Bye for now. Bye. Hi, friends. I just want to pop in here real quick and let you know that the conversation doesn't end here. Natalie is hosting a self-love challenge that starts May 8th, and she and I are co-hosting a mentor conversation that you get to join in on for free on May 15th, mark your calendars, links and details will be in the bio. See you there. You've been listening to the Mother's Empowerment Podcast. That's all for today, my friends. And here's what I want you to remember. Empowerment is an inside job. The only one who can empower you is you. Today's episode was produced by Brendan Lindsay. Intro and outro music are by Matthew Randolph. I'm Isabel Bridges, author of Daddy Daughter Day. I'm also the founder of the Mother's Empowerment Sisterhood. You can learn more about my work and join the sisterhood at isabelbridges.com. offering a 50% off discount for a limited time only. So check it out today, isabelbridges.com. Hey there, I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, I encourage you to rate and review. This allows more women like you to learn about the show. Also, just so you know, the Mother's Empowerment Sisterhood is diving deep into the topic of cultivating village. So if that's something that you are interested in, you can learn more at isabelbridges.com. See you there.